Wake up. If Pay Me in Equity was a person, it would look like Leisha Bell. The queen of deal flow and dishing venture dollars is known in part for the brains behind the $535 million PayPal fund that was generously distributed to the black and brown owned businesses subsequent to the George Floyd hearing. Her extensive background as a capital allocator, aka Tech Money Spinderella, includes Pipeline Angel, BLXVC, Black Girl Ventures, Pharrell's Black Ambition Fund, and Women of Color Capital Collective. And that's just a snippet of what she brings to her current role as a change maker for PayPal Ventures. Hi, I'm Kendra Bracken Ferguson. I'm the founder and CEO of Braintrust Founder Studio and the founder and general partner of our adjacent fund, Braintrust Fund. I am committed to supporting Black founders start, grow, and accelerate their businesses. Hello, and welcome to Sisters with Ventures, the podcast where we amplify Black and Brown women who are angel investors. On this show, we will explore what is angel investing, how to become one, and why would you want to be one? We will discuss how the most marginalized women persevered to the very top of the investing spectrum. Whether you're making money moves or barely making money, listen up. I'm your host, Lee Chabelle, co-founder of BLXBC, an angel syndicate run by Black and Latinx women who are on a mission to represent ourselves and claim our seats on cap tables. Stay tuned. Welcome to the show, Kendra Bracken Ferguson. <laughs> Thank you. I'm yes, so happy no. to be here. We did it. We did it. We've been trying to do this show for a long time, and we've been to the vineyard, and then we missed you in Oklahoma. We've been just past yes. each other in different cities, but now we are united as one on Sisters with Ventures show. I'm so excited to have you here. Kendra and I, we first met at the Leading Women to Find Summit. Yes. Right? Oh, my gosh. It was a very yes. fabulous event. Shout out to Deborah Lee and her fabulous team over there. And uh, Kendra joined in our conversation on what is venture capital. So at the end of class, she kind of wishes, well, I have a fun, you know. do <laughs> you? <laughs> and then I, I, I couldn't stop seeing her after that. So ran into her in all the spaces and all the places. Fanabulous, fanab, fanabulous. That's a new word. <laughs> That's a good That's word. Right. Fanabulous. Fanabulous. <laughs> GP on the scene, new GP on the scene. So let's back into like your origin story. Where are you from? Who are your people? Oh my gosh. Well, it's so funny because it's funny when you meet people and then you see them everywhere. So it was like leading women to find and then to your point, the vineyard in Oklahoma. But great people attract each other. So we'll just, we'll yes. go there. Um, so it's so funny because I said that you kind of remind me of my first cousin and I see it and it's like such a warm feeling, but I um, was born in Germany. Both of my parents were in the military and then we moved to Texas and I really grew up throughout different parts of Texas from Abilene to Austin to Houston. 
And so it was really such an interesting, diverse place. I will say that Austin, um, as we know it now, really grew up in terms of diversity and all of the cool live music capital of the world. Um, but growing up, I was definitely one of those people who, when I was you know, in kindergarten, I was worried about middle school. In middle school, I was worried about high school. And then when I was in sixth, seventh grade, I proclaimed that I was going to do public relations. And I stuck with that. I went to college to do PR. I was that rare breed of person. Um, and my career really exploded from, I always say carpe diem, seize the day. And so that's yeah. been my trajectory up until now. So I think you're you're doing yourself a little injustice here because I think you had a <laughs> magnificent career. Uh, and why don't you tell us about your professional career before venture? Okay. So before, it's like pre-venture, post-venture. So I started, like I said, I wanted to do PR. And prior to that, I actually was working at the Indiana Pacers. And I had won a scholarship to get my master's in sports administration. My then boyfriend, now husband, played ball in college. I was a gold duster. So I was like, this is what I'm going to do. So I'm working for the Pacers. I also, the year prior, had an internship at Fleischman Hillard in New York, one of the largest PR agencies in the world, which was also my goal. I said, I want to do an internship, but I'm only applying to the five largest firms. So I ended up getting my pick, spent the summer there, went back, was like, I'm going to work at the Pacers. I'm going to live in Indianapolis. And then Fleischman Hillard called me and said, we have a job for you. You need to move to New York in two weeks. And I was like, okay. So I gave back my scholarship, was like, I'm not doing sports. I'm moving to New York. I actually took the Greyhounds bus. My parents, you know, we weren't, we didn't have means. So it was like, I didn't know anyone. And I researched and I found the professional nuns had housing for career women who needed the support and you lived with the nuns and all you had to do was you literally needed a note from your employer that you had a job. So I was like, I have a job. I lived with the nuns. It was quite the experience. But I ended up really growing so much at Fleischman. I became the youngest vice president in the New York office. I traveled all over the world. I helped build the digital practice group. I built their first creator, which, you know, blogger-led campaigns back then. Funny enough, Leisha, my first clients were Black Planet, Mahente, and Asia Avenue. So I was like free Facebook, free MySpace, but really understanding the dynamics of communities of interest and niche communities, which really served through my career. So from Fleischman, I got recruited to go to Ralph Lauren and I was always the one fashion, beauty, that was my lane. Everyone knew it. So I got recruited to go to Ralph and I was the first director of digital media. And so as anything, when you're the first, I reported into David Lauren. I reported into the head of Corpcom, the head of marketing, the head of advertising, the head of e-com. And I literally launched the brand on social. And so I would be at the Olympics taking photos of the athletes wearing Ralph Lauren, but then I'd have to sit with Roger Farah, the CFO, who would say, how much money did we make from Facebook from this thing online? And it was such a great experience, but I learned so much. I had to teach myself Google Analytics. And so you understand how to leverage the most modern forms of communication to hit a bottom line or revenue goal in a billion dollar company. And so it was there that I met my first business partner, um, Karen Rabinovitz. And 
we knew each other, Leisha, I have to say, I knew this woman like two months, two, three months. We had only met in person one time. And I woke up, I had told my husband that Friday night, I was like, there's something I'm thinking. So I wake up Saturday morning, I text her, she calls and I say, I have an idea to manage bloggers. And she said, me too. We put up a website that same day, got our husbands together for brunch that Sunday, the next day, filed for an LLC Monday. I went to David Lauren and I was like, I'm going to manage bloggers. And this is 2010. So at that time, there was no big influencers. Instagram didn't exist. There was no Pinterest. So we literally would take Ralph Lauren products and we'd every Friday go to the Standard Hotel in the Meatpacking District in New York. And we'd meet with these bloggers and say, we want to manage you. And it's funny because thinking back, we just knew that this was going to be the next biggest thing. And I remember being like, this blogger has more traffic than RalphLauren.com. We have to look at this. Um, And sure enough, a lot of the bloggers that we signed early days, I mean, they're doing extraordinarily well now. Christelle Lim, Something Navy, Tina Craig. It's just, it's amazing to see what happened. So fast forward, um, we ended up raising money. That was my first time raising capital, understanding what it was like. And I ended up becoming part of the first group of black women. We raised 2 million. So the first group of black women to raise more than a million dollars. And I had this notion that I was going to, you know, sit in board meetings and talk to the investors and it was going to be great. And I was going to write annual reports. Um, And it wasn't that at all. It was far from that. Um, And I realized that I had a different set of values understanding than not just our investors, but fundamentally my co-founders. And as you know, raising money changes things. It changes the way you approach your business, your goals and your outcomes. So I remember sitting in my office being like, what have you learned? And what's been the most important things? And I said, I love working with smart people. And um, through that experience, I learned the importance of trust. Like I thought because I could have the same idea as somebody and we could, you know, have a lot of connections and create business models that we were on the same page and we just weren't. And so I said, I have to be able to trust someone that if we say we're going to do it, we're going to do it. I say I'm going to do it. I do it. It may take me a second, but I pride myself on being able to get things done. So I wrote Brain Trust on my whiteboard. I have to send you the first iteration of the logo. We were actually looking at it yesterday in the company, but launch Brain Trust. And I said, I really want to get back to brand development, brand strategy, brand building, which was my background. And so I launched Brain Trust as a social media marketing agency with Halle Berry and Blushington as my first two clients. And that literally set this interesting trajectory of, okay, you launch a company, you have Halle Berry as a first client, you didn't want to work with talent, but we were so focused on, we launched her social media, we helped her launch her wellness company. And then on the other side, I had Blushington, which was important to me because I had spent so long working with Estee Lauder and L'Oreal, which was fantastic, but it was hard to get things done. And when you're someone like me, who, which you are too, can create multiple things within one hour, I was like, I need clients where I can sit with the CEO and we can have an idea and we can get it done, at least within that quarter or maybe the next. 
Um, And so that's really how the agency grew and grew. And then um, we were acquired by Creative Artists Agency through a joint venture with Global Brands Group. Um, Another thing, as you know, as an entrepreneur, it was on getting acquired by CAA was on my vision board when we launched Digital Brand Architects in 2010. So when it came around, I was like, yes, this is what we're doing. And I moved the team from New York and LA and you know, it wasn't the right fit. And I, I say to the, um, to the president, you know, cause I sat before the board and we went through all these things that it's, it was the learning. I was so excited to jump in and manifest something that the long tail of what happens if it doesn't work, do you have the right lawyers? I did not have the right lawyers, something that I've now learned. And right. so great experience, bad timing. I ended up, um, buying the company back, losing millions of dollars, which would soon become an investment in my new company. But it was, it was, you know, it was tough. And then we went through COVID. Right. And as everyone experienced, I, as a business owner was like, what do I do? How do I protect my team? How do I continue to grow? And so I remember sitting there and um, we had just done a big deal with the company out of Israel, actually. And we're starting to create products and do the things that I love. And we were trying to figure out the fitting. And I had so many founder friends texting, DMing, like, what do I do? And so I said, this is so much greater than me. I can't, I also felt bad. I was like, I have to stop apologizing for not being available for doing this. And so I literally went to a hand, 20, about 20 of my beauty founder friends. And I said, I want to start a studio. Will you um, join the studio as members and help me? figure out what we need to do to support founders. And so it really became my personal pillars, community. I believe we all are meant to be in community, hence brain trust. Um, We all need mentors. We all need education. And we have to understand the role of capital in our businesses. And capital comes in many different forms. And so that became the pillars of Brain Trust Founder Studio, which we launched in 2021. And then literally January of 2022, um, I was in Cabo at a friend's wedding and I, or friend's birthday party. And I ran into a longtime friend of mine for 20 years, Lisa Stone. And she said, Oh my gosh, I saw what you're building with the studio. How can I help? I'm really trying to get back into my purpose. And I remembered in 2015, Lisa had black lives matter on her LinkedIn And we've had so many conversations. She wrote a white paper about how diverse teams perform better. So she started digging into the studio and she said, oh my gosh, Kendra, you picked about 20 founders and seven of those are already between a million and 20 million. What is your, what's your investment thesis? And I was like, oh, I'm going to invest off my balance sheet because I had asked so many people what to do. And they were like, oh, you don't come from venture. You're not a venture yeah. capitalist. So, you know, so you can't do it. Let's back into that. Let's back into this. Yes. So, did you know what venture capital was? I or did. did. You learn that from your first company? I learned it from my first company, but it was the nuance of all the different pieces of venture capital in terms of exiting, in terms of being on the other side because we went through the process of raising, right? And so I understood that. But then it was this interesting place of being the one raising for the funds, but then deploying capital. And Mm -hmm. I had a different level of grace 
for the investors who invested in my first company as I got onto the other side of it. Right. So what do you think is most critical um, for investors to understand when they're looking at these investments? So, and I think, you know, we've invested in four companies. Um, We'll probably have three to four more investments by the end. Well, we will have three to four investments by the end of the year. And it's been really interesting. I think it is before I underestimated the time and the diligence, right? Because there's what's on paper and then there's what's not on paper. And when you are from where we're sitting as venture capitalists, we have to deliver a three to five time return, if not greater, to our investors. And so what is what's not on paper can sometimes be just as important as what is on paper. Understanding the mental capacity, um, the business acumen, the mindset of the founder themselves, their willingness to be able to move the company or not be the one to move the company into where you needed to go. And I place them differently now having gone through it, right? And we're fortunate because we only invest in founders who are part of our Brain Trust Founder Studio. So we're looking at 43 points of data. We're spending time with them, but there is still this level of let's look at the paper and then let's look at the founder. And I didn't understand that when people were like, you know, getting investment is based upon the founder. Yes. And, and it works in both ways between the paper, the founder, and then environmental factors and everything in between that help to deliver that return that we're looking for as venture capitalists. So let's organize people um, to respond. Tell us, tell us brain means. Tell us, your fun size, tell us what your focus is, tell us people about hunt you down after they hear this podcast. <laughs> make it part of Absolutely. Um, so we have Brain Trust Fund. Our thesis is, like I said, you have to be a member of our Brain Trust Founders Studio. Brain Trust Founders Studio was designed for Black founders in the beauty and wellness space. So if you are a Black identifying founder, you have a company within beauty and wellness, and we defined what those categories look like. We welcome you in. We have three tiers of membership, the start tier, pre-revenue, grow tier, 10,000 to a million, and accelerate, which is a million or more. Within the studio, it is membership-based, so we have virtual programming. We have our big founders house um, pop-up experience, but it's really a way for us to get to know founders. And I will say that not every founder who becomes a member in the studio is going to be eligible for the venture fund. And that's why we bring in our partners like Build in Tulsa, Shopify Capital, ClearCo, Chase, Bags, Lindustry, to make sure that there's differentiated sources of capital based upon where those founders are. However, the founders who reach a million dollars in repeatable revenue, they do become candidates for the fund. So first step, are you a member of the studio? Second step, do you have at least one Black co-founder? Third step, do you have at least a million in repeatable revenue? And are you within 20 categories of beauty and wellness? That's really our thesis and what we look at in terms of our investment strategy. I'm extremely proud because 77% of our investors in the fund are women, and the majority are BIPOC women led by Black women. And so we've really created a really great space, which is important to me, 
especially as Black women, we spend nine times more on hair care products than our counterparts. We need to participate in the upside of what we're already leaving from a consumer perspective. And we can do that by investing in what one of our investors said, you know, what's like a mutual fund where you're invested in 12 to 15 companies um, at one time to really understand. So I love beauty. I'm a Black woman who loves beauty. And a lot of Black women love beauty and I invest in Black women. So hence, I have a probably outsized portfolio in beauty in my personal portfolio. And it's really hard for beauty founders right now. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what you're seeing in the market and trends. Absolutely. So like you, we are exclusive beauty and wellness. That's everything from color, skin, hair um, into ingestibles, menopause, sexual wellness. Um, There's some interesting things happening in AI tech with beauty, but overall, which I believe is kind of cross-category, valuations are flat. Um, We are seeing, as you and I both know, funding into these spaces is declining, which is interesting because the category itself continues to perform really well. Even when you look at Ulta's latest numbers, we are seeing exponential growth across the category. We're also seeing such an increase in lipstick sales, which we know we had our dip and now we're back. Um, But there's a lot to be excited about. And I think when we look at it, it is what is making this product unique and where do we see the opportunity? So we have a founder assessment system that is an AI-based system that we developed in partnership with one of our investors, Creator IQ. And it's really interesting because we're looking at the founder, what's their reach influence, um, as well as um, really how they fit into this category. Like, does it make sense for them? Does it make sense for the industry? Should they be in this category? What's their knowledge set and overall sphere of influence? Then we look at the product and market fit. So leveraging, you know, how is this product doing not just now, but in the future? And what are the different instances and opportunities for this product to grow and expand beyond what it is now? And then we have a layer of culture. Um, Carla Martin, who's one of our investors, she's a senior lead, runs the global billion-dollar business at Deloitte. She often talks about the fact that her clients are not able to even find the products that they want. So you've got all these people who are trying to shop the products that founders can't make fast enough. And because that's the lens of culture, like, what do I actually need? There's such a diverse group of people. And so we also use that as kind of a mechanism to say, like, if there's five color cosmetics brands, you know, which one do we think has the potential to grow and expand with capital? Um, And to your point, it's tough right now. I think, you know, we probably... I don't know, you you know better than me, but we have 15 more months before we think that valuations are going to change. But right now, you know, they're yeah. just, they remain flat. Right, right. Um, definitely need some um, persistence and perseverance in uh, beauty, <laughs> um, but I'm sure it'll pay off for you. Um, let's talk about you raising and closing a fund. So you made a major announcement. And I felt like it was just a few weeks ago when you were on your first close and now you're like, I'm close. I mean, it has to be one of the fastest raise of a Black woman ever. Um, congratulations. Let's talk about that. Thank you. Well, it's funny because we filed our Form D last September. and form so D for the people? 
don't know. Oh, basically it's stating that with the SEC that you are raising a fund, how much you intend to raise, and there are strict filings and proceedings for raising a fund. And so our deadline to close our funds was two weeks ago, I believe. It's like a time warp. But essentially from the day that we filed to a year later from when we closed. And so you can always file an extension. There's many great funds that file an extension. We had a lot of conversations um, with our LPAC. We have an LPAC and a super LPAC as first-time fund managers. Um, and we had I know. Lisha, we're like, we're doing it here. And it's really, it was more, you know, as women, as diverse women, we know that we receive less than, what are we at? Less than seven per, 70% of the capital. And as someone who is told, you can't do a fund, you can't raise that, you don't have the right background. I was like, I'm not giving you any opportunity to say that what we're doing is not equal to or better than the thesis for other funds, in particular, because we have been very clear. And I had so many people that said, what about this group or that group? Or how can you say that you're inclusive if your studio is only for Black founders and your funds only invest in companies that have at least one black co-founder who is an equal party. This is not, you have 2%. And so now you get to be part of our fund. Right. And I was very bullish on not changing that. And so I wanted to show that we do have supporters. And so our first sale pack was based upon investors, amazing group of phenomenally educated women, Chitima Sonia, who's the president of S by Serena, Boston Consulting Group, Estee Lauder, Tara Abrams, who owns one of the largest hand assembly pick pack distribution companies, Carla Martin, who I mentioned. And then we also have another layer, um, which is through our anchor partners with West River Group and George Kaiser Family Foundation, who essentially have billions of dollars um, (laughs) under management. And so we just wanted to make sure that as we're learning to be fund managers ourselves and preparing for fund two and three, that we did have the right infrastructure. Ultimately, Lisa and I are the GPs and the, the co-founders. So we make the decision. But I think as I'm learning, it's that additional voice of understanding due diligence from people who are sitting with the billion under management that also helps us get to where we want to be to have more capital to deploy back into our communities. I love that. I love that. Hello, my name is Zora. And I will be telling you guys about my mom's new merch shop. Go to LeishaBell.com. Thank you. Final question. This time goes by fast every time. Um, What would you have told your younger self? Oh, my gosh. The money is right there. The money is right there. And I think... It goes back to what I said in terms of Carpe Diem. I've always believed in seizing the day. God gives you a tap tap and it starts to get fainter and fainter and you have to move. I'm a visionary, so I'm going to win some. I'm going to lose some. I'm going to make sure that I learn along the journey. And when we're fundraising, you know, people said, I didn't think you guys were going to raise that. Honestly, I was going to support you, girl. I was going to put my money in, but I wasn't sure if y'all were going to be able to do it. Um, but the money is right there and it's, it's so much as faith, right. And intentionality and the relationships that we have that kind of carry us through. So 
that's what I'd say. Community is everything in this game. I love it. I love it. This is an amazing conversation. I learned so much about you. It's our first time actually sitting down and talking. <laughs> I know. Everything is another So I'm sure the community would love to enjoy your story. Congratulations on your raise. Congratulations on your first fund. Congratulations on all the work that you're doing. You're a studio and accelerator. And stay tuned for more exciting things from Kendra Back and Ferguson. Thank you. Thank you, Leisha. When I met you and heard you speak, I was like, I need to know her. I want to be in community. I want to learn from her. So this is an honor. Thank you for having me. We love you, sis. Keep trying. Bye. <laughs> Bye. And that's a wrap. Thank you for listening to the show. Please subscribe, tell a friend, check us out, let the world know. You can find out more information about this podcast at LeishaBell.com. And remember, be an angel, invest.